I think we, we like to take the phrase of organize. We think that's more and that more of an honest um, sort of, I will say I will say I because I'm not representing. I'm representing me. I will take the position that uh, God organized matter and organized things and created things. There was matter that was already there. We, we're not going into X and the Hilo. I don't think that's biblical. Um, well, I, I believe it most firmly is. That I is one, believe it just is, doesn't. That is one of our, our major issues. Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on the program, we have Kwaku, Kwaku L. You're going to have to pronounce it for me because I'm terrible here. Yes, it's uh, it's pronounced uh, Crayola. Um, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Kwaku, Kwaku L, yes. Kwaku L. So that, that's, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a BYU student. Um, live in Provo, Utah. I host a talk show called Saints Unscripted, but I also do the Kwaku channel, which is a little bit a little bit more me. Um, and I talk about Latter-day Saint theology um, and culture. And I, 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 I sort of try to convince people to become uh, Latter-day Saint or Mormon. You know, that's that's kind of the shtick, but not so intense. Uh, so my understanding is your previous program was called Three Mormons. Yes, yes. So... Would it be accurate to call you an ex-Mormon? Um, yeah, technically, if you want to say that, I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm an. If President Nelson is watching, then yes, I'm an ex-Mormon in that way. Absolutely, absolutely. I, every once in a while, I still say I'm a Mormon. I just it, it's hard to get rid of the term, you know. No, I watched you in your uh, James White uh, discussion. Uh, it wasn't. I don't know. I wouldn't say it was a debate. Kind of a discussion. Uh, yeah. You'd say Mormon, and then you get this like real guilty look on your face. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I just said Mormon, and yeah. then. Uh, yeah. So explain to me, uh, I'm like a neophyte when it comes to Mormonism. So what's the difference between Mormonism and LSD? LDS. Oh. <laughs> L LSD, well, possibly yeah. a little bit different there. I won't tell you if I've tried both. Uh, no, I've, um, <laughs> no. So Mormon is, a, uh, it, it comes from the Book of Mormon, and people who believe in the Book of Mormon are called Mormons. So that's us, uh, Latter-day Saints, that's Community of Christ, that's FLDS. Um, and there's a bunch of, of smaller uh, Mormon groups. There's the Church of the Firstborn. I just met a guy the other day who's a part of the Church of the Firstborn. So there's a bunch of different. So Mormon is that encompassing term. Anyone who believes in the Book of Mormon. Um, but then Latter-day Saint, that's the specific uh, denominational title for my church. So we, we are technically Mormons. We fall under that umbrella. But just to be more specific, we're Latter-day Saints because we don't want... You know, there's there's differences in theology between us and the fundamentalist churches down in southern Utah and Church of the First One and things like that. I didn't I didn't know that uh, being a Mormon was so divisive. I don't know. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Even even within our church, there's this kind of a online separation on Twitter between two groups called Progmos and Desnats. And uh, Progmos stands for Progressive Mormon. Um, and Desnat stands for Deseret Nation. And they're essentially the super, super right-wing people in our church and the super, super left-wing people in our church. So, yeah, there's divisions. Yeah, it's fun. Oh, that's crazy. I guess everyone has that. So so before we get started, here's a quick story time. So I had an interview with Leighton Flowers. And afterwards, there was this uh, uh, Calvinist podcaster who, who watched that interview. And he was all mad at Leighton Flowers because apparently Leighton Flowers, the thing that Leighton Flowers needs to do is if he ever disagrees with someone, 
He needs to start up by uh, just uh, denouncing that person and commanding them to repent. So you ready? Just bear with me here. Repent. (laughs) Did it work? You know. (laughs) Maybe I should have done it louder. Would is I. I, he didn't give any, any instructions after that, so I, I'm a little bit lost here. Yeah, usually telling someone to repent does absolutely nothing. He, oh. it, yeah. <laughs> he told me to repent, so I don't know. I was kind of lost after that, too. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm I'm, I'm stuck here. Yeah. We're at an impasse. But uh, So that's pretty good. So I found out about it, you, because you were on James White's program, and I've been following yeah. James White's career for some time documenting his intellectual dishonesty uh scum of the earth he's blocked me on twitter <laughs> oh man oh, he blocked man. me on twitter um i i might have deserved it on twitter because sometimes i'm abusive i don't know but i'm pretty sure it's the same reason he blocked me or maybe his admin on alpha and omega uh i just asked a question that you get blocked for questions there i asked uh is the human part of jesus divine and uh I get blocked. They they say, "Oh, you don't understand the Trinity." It's like I'm I'm not making any claims. I'm asking a question, and uh, then I'm kicked. So I'm out of there. I don't know. Well, so, I know that um uh, uh, at least on the YouTube channel, Alpha and Omega doesn't allow comments at all. I've known that you can't. Um, and I'm not sure why. Maybe there's I don't know. Maybe they get hacked, or maybe people leave gross links and stuff. But um, yeah, I know they don't allow any comments, and um, that seems to be another. That, that is a classic James White thing. You don't understand the insert whatever is here. Um, at least in my experience with uh, with Mr. White, that seems to be a, a go-to for him. Block all dissent. Uh, just, just quiet them down. Talk over them. Uh, I like that strategy. That's a good strategy. And uh, so... Yeah, say, I, <laughs> I, I've been researching this for uh, 55 years, before you were born. Uh, I, I, I knew Joseph Smith, Koiku. I knew him. And uh, uh, I, I know all about this, so so. Yeah. Oh, I, I like it. He's like my Bible's Hebrew. You see that? That's the Hebrew. That means my argument is correct. And, yeah, uh, he, he does a bit of that, but you know, he did it like two, two or three times. It was so funny. And then his uh, friend—I don't know his friend's name with the beard—but no. uh, his, his friends always like, "Can you show me this from the Hebrew?" Like they add that in, like that would make a difference. That's the critical <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, as you know, America is a nation of Hebrew-speaking Jews. Everyone who, who goes to church, we all read Hebrew, yeah. All those translators of all the English editions, they didn't know what they are doing. You know, there's, there's no need for them, yeah. Th- there's no correlation between those English words and the original Hebrew. Uh, the concepts are definitely not translatable. But Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, and, well I, I, yeah, I, I could talk about this forever, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So here, here's our goal with this episode. Um, you were, you are not allowed to make your argument. So what, what James White would do in this interview is he'd be like, where's your evidence? And you'd be something like, you'd be like, let's turn to Psalms 82. And he's like, I'm going to stop you right there. And let's go talk about this other thing. My proof text again, as if I just didn't give you a different proof text that you already responded to that is worded the exact same way. And so I'll just give you another one worded the exact same way. And uh, let's skip your proof text that we just asked you for and go back to mine. Yeah, and- it's a sh- it's so strange. I, 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 <laughs> I was very confused by that style because for a minute I thought, I know that the, the, the discussion, debate, whatever you want to call it, I know it got a little intense and um, mm-hmm. uh, 
first is I don't, I don't think they were expecting me to be the way I was. I think they were expecting me to just sort of listen the whole time um, and not fire back. And so I think because of that, there was a bit of a, uh, you know, they got a little upset and then it turned into, uh, he was like, show me. And I was like, all right, let's open Psalm 82. And then he's like, the thing Mormonism teaches is that, and they would say something. I'm like, all right, well, can we get back to, uh, and the funniest time was when um, I brought up, um, I, br- I brought up uh, something from, from an Egyptian hymn, I believe. And oh, uh, yeah. about, you know, multiple God or about how, one of the gods is is the creator of everything, and I said that's the exact language sh- shown in other cultures. And James Blake was shown, was shown. Listen, you can find all the similar language you want, and I'm like, you're just gonna call that similar language? That's the best. And and so, yeah, it's it, it was just the whole thing was this this cycle of show me, and I would attempt to, and then it would move on so fast. It's like I don't really think anything substantial got done in the entire interview. I just think it was kind of a dumpster fire to quote a couple people i think i think he's used to preaching to the choir and so people listen to him with reverence and they don't respond so he's he's not used to like a legitimate dialogue where he actually responds to actual arguments and one thing that you'll see in him not that not that this podcast right now is about james white particularly but uh you'll tell him an argument in the very next debate he'll act like he's never heard the argument before in his life it just it doesn't register it, it or, yeah, uh, or he'll, he'll do a thing where um, you'll bring up an argument and he'll say, you know, uh, Muslims have told me that too. As if, <laughs> as if just the fact that another religion recognized something that makes it not true. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. very, yeah, it's, but it's also a very um, older generation, um, very uh, theologically and socially right wing sort of mindset of, oh, a Muslim said it. And so it's like the wink wink to the audience disregard if a muslim says anything you know it's got to be gobbledygook right okay so so james white he's in a debate with john sanders open theist and john sanders is like okay let's let's turn to jonah and james white's like mormons do that (laughs) it's like okay i I don't know and uh just the other day uh i was actually debating with one of matt slick's cronies and matt slick's one of these uh, james white types and uh, he has a bunch of individuals and they're like, uh, we look to Isaiah and we see this language of incomparability. No one compares to God. And so that means all our concepts of God is immutable and, and above space time and simple eternity and nothingness. All those concepts are true because look at Isaiah. And I said, well, let's turn to the Numa Elish and we could look at very similar phrases about Marduk. Our problem here is a reading comprehension problem because no one's going to read these texts. They're going to read these little phrases and they're going to say, oh, uh, the Babylonians, they thought Marduk was eternally simple, immutable, outside space and time without predicates. No one's going to think like that. No one default reads those exact same statements that we find in the Bible. No one default reads them as those metaphysics. They have to be imported on the text. And his response is, the Mormons do that with uh, uh, your quote with uh, Egyptians and uh, God being the creator. Like that? Is that an argument? I I missed the argument part of that. Can you imagine it in 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 twenty twenty if it's Biden and Trump? Um, <laughs> and, and let, let's say Biden says something and Trump goes, you know, uh, John Kerry said that exact same thing. And the audience goes, <laughs> that's true. That opinion was shared by John Kerry. Therefore, like, 
It's such a strange, it's such a strange argument. I, I got a meme of Trump drinking water, and then right next to him is a picture of uh, Hitler drinking water, and the quotes, well, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't drink water, you know. That Guilt by association. It's like, these Mormons sound like intelligent people. So that's one of the things that we're going to hopefully talk about today is uh, some of that parallel literature. Now, I'm not an expert on... Uh, Egyptian religion. I got just the very basics. I know the New Malish. I've read the New Malish, and I know some of those parallel st statements. A lot of them are about Marduk, and Marduk is actually a created god, and uh, he's described as perfect, and and he determines the fates, and and he actually ascended to this position. So you have an ascension psalm, something like uh, Psalms 82, which is typically in uh, scholarly literature considered an ascension psalm, where Yahweh is taking control from these other guys. Well, we could talk about Psalms 82 later. I don't want to steal your thunder or anything. Uh, but yeah, so we'll talk about that a little bit first. But first of all, uh, give us your best shot. Oh, let's put aside Psalms 82 for just the moment. What else in the Bible, where else do we see this concept that there are other deities that Yahweh interacts with or maybe sometimes uh, fights with? Or or there's, there, there's the idea that there are other gods, although they are not the supreme gods necessarily. So um, I think a, a trouble I've run into is whenever I quote the Old Testament, um, oftentimes even, even those who may be less Calvinistic leaning, it, it doesn't resonate with them as much because th there's a debate in, in their head. Are they speaking of false idols or false rulers, pharaohs? Or are they speaking of other heavenly beings? So something I've started to do is draw more from the New Testament. Um, so I'm going to quote mostly the New Testament right here. Um, and what I want people to grasp from the LDS position, not that I, not that I represent the church, right? But from, from the general LDS position, it's that if human beings are to become gods, are to become heavenly beings with some sort of power, then that seems to be the easiest way to explain it. Um, and so then it comes in, do human beings become gods? And I'm going to use the term gods. I'm, I'm going to straight up say gods. Um, and so let's, I want to pull a little bit from, from the, the scripture here. If you go to, um, we go to 2 Corinthians 3.18, verse 18 says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. Um, you can make the argument if you want that these, the, the word image here is not physical. It's purely spiritual, but I, I would assume both. Um, you, you would be changed. You, you would have a perfected body as we see the resurrected Christ and your spirit will be perfected, purified um, as you become like God. Uh, another verse would be <clears throat> uh, Philippians 3.20, um, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Um, so again, we, we, we sort of see this, this language of becoming like God, and we, we find this language of body. And I'll just give you one more, so because I don't want to hog too much here. Um, 
Let me give you a good one. Let me give you the best one. Um, oh, here we go. Revelation 3.21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, there, there seems to be, and this is just a couple, but there seems to be a this theme throughout the New Testament of becoming like God, sitting on the throne, like his body, like his image. Yeah, so First uh, Corinthians 15 is all about that. I have a podcast on on the Semite conception of the spiritual world where we're going to be raised with what Paul talks about, spiritual bodies. And so it doesn't seem to me like in, in Jewish conception, it's like the Greek conception where where in Platonistic metaphysics, the spiritual realm is is uh, divested from the material world. Instead, there's overlap. And and one person, like Paul says, uh, someone was taken up to the third heaven, whether in the body or the spirit, I don't know. And it is possible to go in the body to that third heaven because it's not like there. it's a duality where there's no overlap and one can't interact with each other. But there's consider over, considerable overlap between the spiritual and the physical realms. That's yeah. my understanding. No, and I, and I would agree. I- the, the fun thing is, I was explaining to a friend that this concept, you don't have to believe in the Book of Mormon or that Joseph Smith was a prophet to believe this concept. There are, there are Christians who are totally disagree with the Book of Mormon, <laughs> totally disagree with Mormonism, who believe this. And he, he, he didn't, he was like, I, I don't think any Christians believe that. Only Mormons are like, well, I promise, you can totally think of that. <laughs> yeah, you, you've heard of uh, Michael Heiser, right? <laughs> well, a lot of people haven't. Oh, and a lot of people, he's like so famous wherever I go. Everyone knows about this guy. He's really taken off right now. And, and so uh, I'd kind of point to First uh, uh, Corinthians 10, 20. And Paul's talking here. He says, I do not apply what pagan sacrifice. He says they offer it to demons and not to God. And so uh, very early in Christianity, have you ever heard of uh, Origin of Alexandria? Of course you have. Uh, and he, he wrote a book against uh, Celsus. And Celsus made the argument, he says, all these Christians uh, and these Jews, they talk about one supreme God and they, they refuse to worship the, the gods of Rome. And he says, uh, uh, but you, you guys say there's only one true God. But look at what you guys have for, for your uh, heavenly divine uh, body. You guys got angels. You guys got demons. That's the same thing. That is the same thing as uh, this pantheon. And he's right. He's right. And Paul's pointing this out, too, as well, that these people are sacrificing to these divine beings, and he calls them demons in this verse. So it seems that he had a conception that these these pagans are sacrificing to actual living or sentient beings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a, there's a, a Calvinistic-leaning pastor here in Utah named Aaron Shafawalov, or it looks like Shafavalov on YouTube. He does a lot of, he goes to the Salt Lake Temple and does a lot of uh, preaching. And um, he, he makes that same case. He says, you know, these, these gods, these gods or demons in the Bible are actual beings. It's not a Santa Claus made up sort of thing that they're actual beings there. And this fits in with Michael Heisner perfectly, right? Even I think, I think it was the Bible Project or the Gospel Coalition, I think Bible Project, who's uploaded a series about these beings, for a long time, Christians have just assumed, all right, there's God, and there's angels, and then anything else is just Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy. But we should re-examine that, because they actually, there may be these other beings um, that are working for the adversary, 
but they're there. And those are the ones that these people were sacrificing to. And so I'm, I'm more on that board. I'm because then the, the language employed in the Bible where God, you know, makes himself above other gods. Um, when not speaking of heavenly beings and speaking of, of beings that would be evil, if they're just, if, if they don't exist, that's a very weak way to present yourself. You know, you're the most powerful above all the Santa Clauses is not, yeah. <laughs> I'm more powerful than all the Santa Clauses. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not exactly impressive, but if there's something there, it is. And that language is uh, employed of King Solomon. And he says, uh, I've, I've given you riches. God is talking to Solomon. He says, I have given you riches. Uh, no other king compares to you. And so what, what it's not is it's, it's not this concept of uh, negative theology where uh, there's, there's a, there's a difference that there's there's no comparison whatever whatsoever and then god can is above predicates uh, above relationships and it's an entirely different class but instead it's more like uh wayne gretzky uh, he's like a hockey player i don't know anything about hockey but uh, i imagine that uh he's uncomparable compared to me with hockey you know yeah, yeah. There, there's no comparison yeah yeah i agree so th there's a book that's called uh, Act in Being by uh, Gunton, I believe. And he makes this point that even in those passages in which God says, none compare to me, uh, implicit in the text is comparison. So th there's the language of comparison utilized when God is saying, none compare to me. And uh, you pointed out in your interview with White, uh, the, James White, that other religions employ this language as well in, in their sacred texts. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um so it happens quite a bit. Um, I, let me pull some of those up for you. Um, yeah, I've, I've got I've got a few here. Um, so this is one I read to uh, James White. It was um, the 18th Dynasty Theban Papyrus to uh, Amenhotep II. Um, it says, "Unique king, like whom of among the gods, um, singly unique, without his second. He's the chief of the Aeneid." and the father of the gods. Um, I think it's really interesting because we, we sort of have this, you know, language of, oh, no one else, no one else, just our God. So you say, all right, if we can find this language in other texts, then perhaps that shows that this, that this language is a little more poetic um, than just the easy, one dry read. So yeah. <laughs> The, yeah. the great pyro hymn to Amun-Ra, again, unique one, like whom among the gods, literally, like whom of the gods. And this is when I read to him, you are the sole one who made all that exists, one alone who made that which is. Because uh, Mr. White asked me, he said, find me, find me one, <laughs> one sentence in any of those pagan literatures um, where they express that God is the ultimate creator, the supreme creator. It says literally, you know, you create it all. So I just think this is that language used. Um, I think that in, in, in uh, I'm, I'm writing something right now uh, called Jesus of Suburbia. And, um, and, and I talk a little bit about this, but it's about how in, in American Christian culture, we've created this fear. Um, and it, it's a fear of challenge. And I don't just mean like someone, God's not real. You're like, oh, no, I mean, people can handle that. But it's, when you read the Bible with any any other lens than maybe what your pastor or priest or even bishop um, told you. And so these things do challenge, but they don't have to destroy your faith. You can just realize, hey, maybe the Bible, maybe this 
book that's thousands of years old compiled by hundreds of people is maybe a little more complex than we've than Stephen Furtick makes it out to be. Maybe a little more complex than that, right? And, and the argument the argument is not as James White thinks that uh, oh the Bible is in the same category as these other religions. The Bible is the same category as Marduk and the Enuma Elish. The the Bible's in the same category as Egyptian papyra. Uh, it's just the fact is that those exact same sentences, when you read them, they don't mean what James White automatically assumes when he reads those exact same phrases in the Bible. So perhaps, just perhaps, uh, hang with me for a second, perhaps that text isn't a very good proof text for his position. And th this is his go-to proof text. It's like, uh, this is my proof text. Uh, this means my theology but it doesn't. We, we don't read that when we re find it in different contexts. You have to assume your theology onto the verse rather than extracting your theology out of the verse. And he didn't seem to grasp that concept. And when you challenged him on that, uh, his automatic response is, well, uh, the Bible is a different category. So that means, of course, that means, of course, you're wrong. And he's right. Right. That's that's what that means. Yeah, it's it, 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 I think it's it's. Not to be rude, I think it, it's lazy. I think it's lazy because I, I find it circular. I, I, the Bible's different, so anything else that is similar to it in that language can be cast off because the Bible's different. Well, how do you know it's different? Because it's, it's different. Like, it just seems to be this interesting circle as opposed to you take someone who may be impartial to any religion. Um, uh, A secular but, scholar. Any yeah. secular scholar. <laughs> the funny thing is... Uh, when secular scholars make this comparison, they seem to always have a different opinion than, than James White. They, none of them. None of them are Calvinists. And I point this out. So I, here, here's my conversation with Calvinists. I say, none of these secular scholars agree with you. Uh, none of them. And uh, then they'll say, well, they, they're all biased and they, they don't know what they're doing. And I say, well, how about we just go grab 10 competent readers? And like maybe we're going over a passage. We'll grab 10 competent readers from the mall real quick and we'll survey them about what this passage means. And then they'll say, oh, those people are all biased too. <laughs> it's like every yeah, everyone's all biased. You can't trust the scholars. You can't trust the layman. You have to go directly to the Calvinists for your theology. Uh, no one else. They, they got the reading, so you got to query them. Well, and I think that's funny is um, uh, in the Maxwell Institute right here at BYU, um, on this subject, you'll find in the BYU studies um, uh, uh, articles, they quote non-Latter-day Saints quite a bit um, because although, although many religions do have an exclusivity claim, this is not something that's exclusive to us. Um, <laughs> like, I try to make that clear. Is not something that's exclusive to us. And what my friend Jackson Washburn is is fixed. He he he's also been in their program and talked to them a bit. And he is a, he's Latter Day Saint too. But he has talked about how um, James White uh, or and really the Calvinist leaning uh, people who who are more vocal immediately discredit it by using the word liberal. They'll say, oh, those are just liberal Christians, liberal 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 philosophy and stuff like that. And to me, that's interesting because it's just it's again it's using that that word like it just the way they use Muslim right it's just yeah. oh, it's this this wink of like you can discredit it because uh, if they say this they it, must believe X Y Z you know what their definition of that is anyone who takes that position is a liberal so it's like 
they're just liberal because they take that's how you define who the liberals are is they're the ones who take this uh <laughs> this position that there's multiple gods in the old testament yeah so it's it's a little circular again well the funny thing is two weeks after i i was on the program and and james white uh he talked about the small you know heroes are lord god is one i went to a congregation called ami in salt lake um and I, I started talking to uh, this Jewish guy, and he, he was talking. He's like, "Well, you know, the re-, he goes, yeah, you know, Mormons are nice people. The only reason why I, I can't, I don't embrace Mormonism is, um, it's a, uh, it, it's hero Israel, Lord our God is one God, and that's why I can't embrace Christianity at all. You know, the Trinity, I, I can't embrace it. Lord our God is one God. Mormonism, many gods. And I was just going, it's so interesting that James White used that exact verse." to proclaim the Trinity, this Jewish guy's in that exact verse to take it down. So obviously, you know, if you, if you take that one verse, right, you, you ride into battle with that. <laughs> one and, and then someone else can totally read it differently. All it takes is the context in which you're raised and, and the glasses you've got on. Um, and so I, I, I know I'm at this point, um, I, I've taken a, bit of a different approach and when I talk with uh, people who are more Calvinist I realize there there's a lens they have and so I have to format the way I say things differently or else the conversation is not gonna go anywhere <laughs> yeah uh, I got a lot of podcasts on Cal I, I don't want to get way too much into that but uh, uh, that's funny they call you a cultist but uh, they, they really have the cult mindset where they have a very controlled speech where they have precise definitions where only the certain elect members have access to the true readings of the texts where if if you uh, exit exit the faith you are never a true calvinist ever before a lot of a lot of what we would normally identify with a cult uh, these these super secret readings, super secret idiosyncratic readings. Oh, what's sovereignty? Well, it's not the dictionary definition of sovereignty. It's it's divine micromanagement of all things, the smallest detail. Oh, but that doesn't mean that God causes it, but but he he really predestines it from all eternity. So it's it's like this double think, double speak. They really have a this massive uh cult uh, cult uh, attributes or features that and then they're accusing other people of being cultists. It's so funny. Well, it's well, it's, it's funny because yeah, I, I, they they say that I'm a cultist, but then they also say that I'm a, a worldly and liberal, <laughs> right? That I just embrace the philosophies of the world. Because I was um, anyone who knows me know like here's the center, and here's me. I'm just I'm just a little bit center left. <laughs> like I'm, I'm very center left. Um, and uh, uh, he just learned that I was anywhere on the left spectrum politically, and he goes, "Oh, well, that guy." Just completely worldly leftist, also a cult, a cultist <laughs> who only has this bit of information, who only just takes the orders directly from Russell and Nelson, and embraces everything. It's just which one is it? And the other, the other uh, claim um, that they also attach onto that is, although I do give cr- credits, they do say they, they said you know I'm very orthodox LDS, I, I am, um, but they make the claim that I that that my religion is always changing. Uh, Mormonism is always changing. Doctrine is always changing. But then they'll say, um, quick, you believe Adam was God. Brigham Young taught that. And that's Mormon doctrine. It's been that way forever. So like, so, okay, which one? Is Mormon doctrine always changing? Or is it been one the whole time? Um, and again, like I get, you, don't, I, you don't have to be a part of my church. But when you want to have those conversations, 
it's always done away. And, and Jeff Durbin, he's the guy with the beard. Yeah. Um, who was the moderator for about five minutes and then chimed in. Um, uh, he makes a claim that I don't believe that God is sovereign. <laughs> I don't believe that God predestined. Uh, you know, I don't believe in predestination. I think it's pretty pernicious doctrine. Um, and he says, you just don't believe God is sovereign and has power. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. I believe God works at 7-Eleven as far as I'm like, no, I, I, I believe God is sovereign. I believe he is my God. However, I don't believe that. Well, I don't believe what you believe, Jeff Durbin. And when I press them on, um, you know, the, the classic, the classic thing everyone brings up in any debate. You bring up Hitler or the Holocaust, no matter what the debate is. But I brought it up. You know, do you believe the Jews who were in the concentration camps, who died Jews, went to hell? And do you believe that God predestined both of those to happen? And they just said, the problem is, Quake, you don't believe in a sovereign God. <laughs> well, they have to deflect. It didn't surprise my God. It's like you're trying to you're trying to dance around the question, man. Like you know you believe that, or you have to believe that by that. Well, yeah, man up. If that's your theology, just just embrace it. Uh, don't dance around it. Uh, I I think it's funny that they just try to always dismiss things based on who the person is rather than the substance of the argument. That's a Mormon. Dismiss it. That's a liberal. Dismiss it. Uh, liberals, they have a lot of good scholarship and they need to be taken seriously. Uh, if you okay. disagree with Bart Ehrman, have a reason for it. it. Just don't dismiss him for being Bart Ehrman. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> he, and the thing is, there's Bart Ehrman books in the BYU bookstore, right? You can say, oh, Bar, you know, it's the, oh, well, Bart Ehrman, he betrayed the faith. He, he's, he's a sellout. He's, he's evil. Be, no, he took a different path. He doesn't believe it anymore because he was raised with a certain Christian lens. And then when he dived into scholarship, he found that that lens wasn't true. And he, I, I assume he just couldn't reconcile the two. And he left. But it doesn't mean the work he's done isn't true. When you're quoting verbatim sources from the ancient world, that's what you're doing, right? It doesn't matter your backstory. And so, you know... Uh, I, I feel for you. I feel for your frustration. So I got that pulled up this verse, and this is in Exodus twelve twelve. And uh, I like the Old Testament. I know you like to go to the New Testament to look at uh, their theology there, but I, I, I see Paul as a Jewish scholar of the Old Testament. I see Jesus, Jesus as a scholar of the Old Testament. They really embraced the Old Testament doctrine. So if someone's going to make the argument that the New Testament's offering substantially new doctrine. They're gonna. They're. They have an uphill battle. They. They need to make the case positively rather than just assume it. And so we're looking at Exodus twelve twelve. It says, "I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments." That seems kind of weird. If uh, if these gods are just maybe concepts, maybe he's attacking the concept of Amun Ra. Maybe he's attacking the concept of, uh, you know. Um, or if they're just lifeless idols, that it's it's a strange statement if they're not actual beings that the, the Egyptians serve that he is inflicting punishment upon. No, yeah, I mean it it, it, it wouldn't make sense like we talked about earlier. It, it wouldn't make sense at all. Um, and then again, that's not to say that God the Father is like those Egyptian gods. That's not what we're saying. But yeah, yeah. there is nuance. Yeah, so it, it seems, uh, I was reading just, just recently, uh, William Smith has a book called uh, Lectures on the Semites or Lectures on Semite Religion. And he points out in those lectures that 
uh, Israel had to contend with these other religions. Their their people would go back and forth. Uh, so there, there's overlap, there's similarities. And uh, like when we read the prophet Isaiah, when we're, we're reading uh, maybe Isaiah 40 through roughly 48, the trail of the false gods, the purpose of this trial is to reclaim the converts who have, have moved on to the bells of the world. Uh, they, they, they thought it... Uh, well, expedient to switch religions, they were comfortable switching religions. And the, the argument for coming back was not, uh, oh, uh, God is eternally sovereign and he controls all things and he micromanages everything just, just because of the nature of what God means and uh, eternally uh, outside of space and time and, and immutable. That's not the argument going on there. It's uh, God is powerful. God can do things. God is more powerful than these other gods. Let's see them do what I do. And what I do is I say something and then I do it. These other gods, they can't do that. They might be able to take credit after the fact, but I say something and I do it. So I'm powerful and these gods are not. And it, it, that doesn't doesn't seem like what the Calvinist mindset would be, this, this, uh, this eternal God that's uh, micromanaging everything that's that's sovereignty sovereignly controlling every leaf drop i hate to use the word sovereignty and try to cede that linguistic territory to the calvinist because that's yeah. not what sovereignty is at all well and and, and the, the the strangest thing is um uh, there's there's no there's no point in there actually being these scriptures to learn from if <laughs> God has predestined everything, right? There's there's no point in and when when they the crowd and say, you know what, Quaku, I want you just 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 study the Bible, just just study. You know, I do. And they go, no, 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 no. Really study the Bible. Just read what the Word of God has to say, and your mind will be changed. <laughs> so if my mind is never changed. Then if I, I, you know, I've just been deceived. Like, right, okay. So who deceived me? Well, you did. All right. Was was I predestined to be deceived? Yes. So who originally deceived me? And there's like a pause. And it's to God's greatest glory. Everything that happens, of course. You know, or or the, the, the funniest thing is um, I talked to a Calvinist um, and and I said, hey, you know, I believe in the Book of Mormon. You don't. Did you believe God is sovereign? You believe God predestines everything? He goes, absolutely. It's like, okay, every single word printed in the Book of Mormon. Do you believe God predestined every word in the Book of Mormon? Well, yes. So we both believe God is essentially the author of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But you, do, you know, it's it, so. it's true. So uh, I, I don't know. Jesse Morell just had recently, he had a response video to James White and he calls the guy effeminate. He's like, I think this guy might be a homosexual. And James White gets all, all triggered on Twitter. He's like, this guy's calling me a homosexual. That's that's pretty cruel of God to eternally predestined all these homosexual insults towards James White. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, God, God did. That's what God wants. Why, why is God doing this to you, James White? No one knows. I, because, I, because I can't explain it. And everything <laughs> to his will. Well, I love that. Yeah, he, he said, how terrible would the world be if there was purposeless evil? But if God, you know, God predestined sex trafficking, that means it has a good purpose. Yeah, why don't you tell that to the people who are in trafficking? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, it's you, like. Why don't you go and tell them, you know what? This all works to the good of God. They're going to be like, "Yeah, there's really nothing good about this." I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's it's such a, it, it's I think it's very small minded. Um, it, it's just like the oh, they were never. Uh, it's like it's like uh, when you have a high school relationship and the girl breaks your heart and you go, "You never loved me to begin with." Like, oh, take it easy. It's the same thing. Like you were never really. Oh, oh. 
There, there's a lot of insecurities. It's insecurities. If God doesn't control yeah. everything, how can we be assured of it? How can we be assured of our own salvation? It's like, what is that? An, is that an I argument? Actually, I wrote an article that Apologia and uh, did a did a review of on their on air called "The Insecurity of Calvinism." Uh, it's word because to me it is the most insecure, to quote Trump, snowflake. Uh, kind of uh, Christianity. It's very, very, very insecure. And God is not presented as strong or, yeah. or beautiful. He's presented as petty and insecure and angry. And yeah. Yeah. So the one Calvinist, he's like, uh, if God could change, how can you trust God? I said, do you trust your wife? He wouldn't answer. He didn't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> there's not, there's not a good answer to that. Yeah. But uh, so so we believe here on God is Open. Uh, second chances. Ever ever watch that uh, Tosh.0? Uh, Tosh.0, you, you've ever heard of that? Yeah, and there's yeah. web, web redemptions. And uh, so I'll set the scene for you. You're, you're sitting in front of James White. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he says, give me some evidence that there's multiple gods in the Bible. And you say, let's turn to Psalms 82. And uh, so I'll, I'll role play a little bit. I'll be I'll be James White. <clears throat> uh, before you get to that, let me turn to this other verse that's uh, functionally similar to this previous verse that I I already gave you. And also, by the way, uh, my book here in front of me is in fact Hebrew, and we'll probably not get back to Psalms eighty two. Now your turn to hey. jump in. So I I say let's go right back to Psalm eighty two. I know you wrote books. I I know you wrote books. You promote them all the time. I'm not really interested in them to be honest with you, but. <laughs> Let's go to Psalm 82 here, and specifically Psalm 82, 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Before we continue, I want us to cross-reference that with John 10, um, verse 33 through 35. Um, The Jews answer him for saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If you call them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. So that's a, I think that's important um, for you, Dr. White, to, under, to, to, to let's examine that. So in Psalm 82.6, we have, I uh, said, ye are gods. And you essentially have Jesus Christ validating that language when they're going to stone him for saying he is God. But that's not all in Psalm 82.6. I think... The, the, the very beginning of it is interesting because it says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Now, first thing, does mighty mean non-existent? I can't think of any definition in which mighty equates with non-existent. Um, so he, he's clearly judging among something powerful. He's in the congregation of them. Every serious scholar would show that this would be some sort of divine counsel. Every, uh, maybe not your buddies in Tempe, Arizona, but every serious scholar um, w- would hold that position. Um, yes, that's also found in other cultures around at the time, in other religions. It seems to be a theme. There are these heavenly beings, these heavenly hosts, um, this divine counsel, and God is at the head of it. James White hat back on. Um, uh, did I mention my Bible's made out of Hebrew? I could read Hebrew. Also, these are just men in Psalms eighty-two. Men, they're they're not they're not gods or divine beings. Uh, there's an article in Alpha Omega that that makes the claim. Hmm. Okay, um, so I, I just like to quote um, 
uh, Michael Heiser here says that the, the term divine counsel is used by Hebrew and Semitic scholars to refer to the heavenly host, the pantheon of divine beings who administer the affairs of the cosmos. All ancient Mediterranean cultures had some conception of a divine council. The divine council of Israelite religion, known primarily through the Psalms, was distinct in important ways. So, Dr. White, how do you feel about Michael Heiser? Oh, I uh, have our videos against him. I've already uh, refuted all of that. Uh, my, my Bible's made out of Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, I know. In your books, your books, I didn't want, but you brought them to me anyway, which is a lot like DMing a girl in Tinder, and then she says no, approaching her at the bar. Did I did I mention all my followers really want my books? And so you should um, feel you should feel privileged. You should be like uh, waxing my shoes or something. You know. It's, um, <laughs> So, uh, again, Dr. White, I know you say they're just men, but Christ quotes Psalm 82. I mean, he, he quotes it not, not to defame it, but to justify that it's not, um, it's not blasphemous to claim to be God because he's saying, yes, there are these other gods. You don't know who you're dealing with here as I am, you know, the Messiah. Um, it also begs the question, um, what, how did Christ, where did he get the idea to form apostles, this council of, of other people. Where does this idea come from? Well, there's a number of places it could come from theoretically, but I think there's a strong argument that in Psalm 82, if there is a divine council of beings, Christ being the Son of God, um, having communed with the Father and organizing something quite similar to what we see in Psalm 82, I assume there's crossover. Um, however, you all you don't believe that there's crossover between uh, the hymn to Amun-Ra and, and the Old Testament and a number of other Syrian or, or Egyptian documents. You just believe a similar language. So maybe you just believe it was a similar structure. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I'll take my James White hat off. Well, so Psalms 82, the language is, uh, you, you know, people claim these are men, uh, but Psalms 82, 7 seems to refute that. It says, nevertheless, like men, you will die, fall like any prince. So if these are kings, um, what he's, he's saying, you will die like Kings, you Kings, you will die like Kings. That doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it seems definitely that these are divine beings. It might be something like we see in, uh, the first couple chapters of Job where there's a divine assembly and the adversary who people believe is a court role in the council of God. And his, his uh, job is to go around and, and, uh, test out people or, or to be, be an adversary to God to try to test the waters and try to get God to see things in a different light. Uh, you have divine roles that are functioning there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's very clear and I think that there's a beauty to it. If I can say there's, there's a beauty to seeing that God is there with these other heavenly hosts that he's consulting with them. We're not saying he's just like them. He is more powerful. He is the Supreme. But there's nothing wrong with there being these other gods or beings. Like it says in the New Testament, maybe not that we shall judge angels. So these aren't just mere angels. We're, we're going to be above them. We're going to be above these people who are purely messengers. Yeah. We're going do, you to not, do you not know that you will judge the angels? Mm -hmm. So I, don't, I mean, I think to get to the Calvinistic position, there's a lot of scripture you have to ignore. And... Um, I don't know. I don't think that creates good faith. I think that's, that creates a very narrow lens. So it, it's real funny that God makes man in his image. Uh, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I've, I've asked Calvinists, in what way did God make us in his image? In what way did 
does looking at Jesus show us the Father? They don't have any answers because um, God is uh, pure simplicity. He's outside space and time. He's he's immutable, incomprehensible. He's ineffable is one of one of the standard systematic theology languages that's that's used about uh, this simple, eternal, divine being without predicates, without any relationships to the known world. There is literally no way that uh, we are in the image of that. There's little, literally no way that looking at Jesus would show us that. Well, uh, you see, Chris, here's where you're wrong, because what Christ did on the cross shows that God actually imputed his righteousness unto us because of his grace and love, which we don't deserve because we are naturally depraved. And the imputed righteousness in us is the image of him Um and that's that's exactly what we see. Well, I would say, well, what about Genesis three twenty two? And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. This is before the cross. You know, the, the white hat. The Bible's in Hebrew. <laughs> so, the Bible's yeah. in Hebrew. I, I was talking to this Calvinist just today. Uh, literally today, we're talking about this. Uh, he's become like one of us to know good and evil. And this this Calvinist thought that God was above. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> And this Calvinist believed that uh, God is above being judged by moral standards. Like anything God does is moral for the sake that God does it. So if, like God decided rape was okay, that'd be a okay. Killing all sorts of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, no matter what God does, it's moral. It's like, what does that mean though? That uh, man has become like us to know good and evil. Is is there there a standard? Where did this standard come from? Uh, and how, how does man have access to the standard if the standard's arbitrary? And yeah. uh, God could do, there. there is no standard. There is literally no moral standard in, in Calvinism. And yeah, that's not what we, that's not what we encounter throughout the Bible where people criticize God. They criticize him in the Psalms for inaction, for shirking his duty. Why do you hide your face? Your, your righteous suffer daily. Uh, they criticize God. There's Abraham who argues with God about collateral damage for destruction of entire city. Uh, don't be angry at me, God, but what if, what if, what if there's 10 righteous people? Uh, it, is, it is a negotiation based on potential collateral damage that Abraham thought maybe he's going to make God mad by pressing back on God's plans, by, by, by pressing towards God's standards. What will God accept? That, that's, that's typically what we see throughout the Bible. Yeah, and, and well, I, 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 mean, I, guess, I guess the Calvinistic answer would be um, uh, God knew all along that he wouldn't destroy Nineveh, but he, he, he said it anyways, so 40 days, it'll be overthrown. Yeah. Absolute lie. He knew it never happened. Um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a lie because we can't determine what lie means. Only yeah. if God does, it's not a lie. So it, it, <laughs> the dictionary is really a tool. Of, um, he, he tricked them. <laughs> but why would God do that? Because he, he controls all things. It's, it's crazy. It's like, why does God have arguments with, he's like, Israel, um, worship me. And here's the list of reasons. Why don't you just sovereignly control them to worship you? That would save you a lot of time and effort rather than having this fake back and forth where you're trying to convince them and then you're fighting against yourself to make, yeah, it, it's it's all confused. It's crazy. Yeah. It, well, it almost makes like, if, if God is, if God has created us solely just so you worship him um, and you, uh, he creates you to worship him 
so he can feel good about himself. It makes you think, was God like a part of some other divine council in which he didn't get a lot of attention? And so he needs like, you know, this, in, he's insecure and needs validation. Why would you need the validation from? So the, the standard Calvinist systematic theology answer to this is God doesn't gain anything from outside himself. So our praises can't give him any benefit. So the purpose of all of creation and divinely predestining all actions to the, no matter how small, uh, the purpose is not to give God glory, but to reflect God's maximum glory, which doesn't in turn flow to God or else that would create relationships that would create change. And so that that is the standard. Calvinists, they, they tend not to read their own systematic theology. They tend not to know their own systematic theology. And so you're on a Calvinist website like I was, and I posed the question, how many of you guys uh, uh, affirm divine simplicity? A hundred votes, a hundred people voted, and uh, 50 per 50% said, yes, we affirm it. And 50% said, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. It's interesting. Uh, oh, it's, all right. I think we hit basically all our, our major talking points. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Maybe uh, uh, your your podcast name or we could link to your podcast or anything yeah, else I'll, you want to throw out there. Um, uh, can I can I end with a uh, don't worry, it's not preachy, a Book of Mormon verse, <laughs> a Book of Mormon verse. OK, let's, let's do a, a Book of Mormon verse. There's a verse in a book that I like a lot called the Book of Mormon. Enough like this one I like, and it says, um, For this cause ye shall have a fullness of joy, and ye shall sit down in the kingdom of my Father. Yea, your joy shall be full, even as the Father hath given me fullness of joy, and ye shall be even as I am, and I am even as the Father, and the Father and I are one. Um, great concept to remember. It's, it's also found all over in the Bible that you're supposed to become something. That's the great part of eternity. You kind of keep learning things. You keep going. So, you know, whatever your theology is, I just hope that people out there um, know that, like I tried to say in Apologia, you have a God who loves you <laughs> and that there is a great plan for you. There's a great plan for you. So, yeah. yeah. Well, excellent. Uh, I, I enjoyed our back and forth. Our, I enjoyed our dialogue. So everyone go check out uh, the podcast. It's not Three Mormons. It's uh, it's Saints Unscripted. Saints Unscripted. Uh, or just type in Kwaku, K-W-A-K-U, and my channel's a pretty good one, too, if I may say so myself. Kwaku, and then uh, to distinguish from other Kwakus, put ex-Mormon, and then uh, right there. Oh, yeah. that's, that's the first hit there. But oh. all right. Well, thanks for coming on the program. I enjoyed our discussion. Uh, if anyone likes this, uh, leave a like, uh, leave a comment, or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for watching. All right.